that first tweet was a game changer for us. And we were still getting 200 people a day, even though we weren't advertising anywhere or putting it anywhere. And so suddenly we're like, this is something big. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right, in today's episode, I have Chris Liu, who is the co-founder of Copy AI. Now, Copy AI is a really impressive AI-powered copywriting tool. Essentially, you put in your topic, you know, a headline, what your company does, and then you hit one button, and then boom. All these machines start writing copy for you. It literally is magic. It's something we've even been using at our own agency. So they came up with this idea a couple years ago. They've gone on to now raise $11 million in funding. They've hit $200,000 in monthly revenue, and they're just getting started. And Chris's story is really interesting because he actually started off his career as an angel investor and working on essentially a VC fund. So he's been able to see a lot of companies grow, and that's how he was able to figure out why he wanted to bet big on this industry. Not only that, but he talks about his framework he used for vetting ideas that eventually led to copy AI. And you can hear some of the ideas he had that actually failed and the process they used to validate those. Also, their company does this idea of working in public. They show all of their financials, all their numbers every month. And he talks about why that can be a benefit as a company and some of the drawbacks to exposing your numbers. And at the very end, he gives some half-baked startup ideas on things that he would want to start if he was getting started today. But I hope you enjoy this episode with Chris Liu. All right, we're here with Chris Liu. Um, beyond excited to talk about Copy AI, it's one of those tools where within the first 20 seconds of using it, you're like, this is magic. Why didn't I think of this? And I'm so happy it exists. But Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So we're just going to dive into it with Copy AI. For people that don't know, what what is it? Yeah, Copy AI is this platform for creating marketing copy using AI. Today, we're focusing on marketing copy. Tomorrow, we want to help people create and run their businesses. And we believe that we're entering this new age. A little bit about this is uh, OpenAI, a company started by Elon Musk and now run by Sam Altman, believes that they want to create artificial general intelligence, AGI. It's when computers can become more sentient. And we think that they're getting close. And our stand, uh, our viewpoint of it is, if this thing becomes a thing, we want to democratize access to it. We want to have people be able to use it to empower themselves and better, better their lives. And the way we're going to use it is by helping people start their own businesses, run their own businesses, and really help lower the barriers of entrepreneurship. That's a nice grand vision that if it works out, I feel like you're also catching it at the right time. And yeah, for those that don't know, Sam Altman, extremely impressive thinker who ran Y Combinator, like every blog post he publishes, I feel like should be turned into a hardback book. It's pretty strong. So with Copy AI, for someone who's maybe a marketer, like what are some use cases on how people should be even thinking about using it? Yeah, my best piece of advice for new users 
is to check out our sales copy tools. So if you're a marketer, you're probably really familiar with copywriting formulas such as pain, agitate, solution, attention, interest, desire, action. But it could take a lot of effort to try and brainstorm uh, that copywriting formula get for a given product and then do it multiple times a day and suddenly your brain's completely fried. Uh, the AI tends to be really, really good at it. So you type in copy AI, an AI-powered copywriting app for small businesses, and it will dive deep into the pain point. Like, you don't have enough time in your life. you know. And then it'll dive deep into the emotion. Like, stop hitting your head against the wall, staring at a blank screen. And then it drives you to a solution. Check out copy.ai, a revolutionary new copywriting app designed for small business owners. And it's just amazing at brainstorming those. Ultimately, those copywriting formulas can form the basis of a social media post, of a blog post, of all kinds of things, like a paid ad. And so we really suggest checking out those tools. We have something like seven different copywriting formulas, all used in different sort of situations. And uh, every click takes about 10 seconds, and we generate you 10 plus results and potential ideas. So it's basically as simple as I could put in for my agency, Growth Hit, a growth team focused on D2C startups. And you literally just type that in, you hit enter, and then the magic starts to happen where it's giving you all these iterations of copy. And I've seen you guys grow. It's getting better because you can do that formula of problem solution format, you know, attention, interest, desire, action format. But are you seeing people use this not to like, okay, I'm taking AI and I'm going to fire all my copywriters. Instead, it's maybe the opposite. It's it's a tool for copywriters to use to get even better as they can use it as a starting point where maybe they're not writing, but they're editing. Is, is that a use case you're seeing? Yes, definitely. A large number of our customers are actually copywriters because it helps them work a lot faster. If you have a client, you want to give them, you know, five, 10 different angles that you can approach, uh, you know, their copy needs. Um, and using our tool, it really speeds up their time. Some people are telling us it 5Xs their efficiency when it comes to generating these types of pieces of content. I literally had somebody who drove out to Houston. She drove like an hour um, to do a customer interview with us. And she was so happy. She literally was like crying. It was like, you saved my life. Like I would used to take five hours to write one of these and now it takes me like 30 minutes and uh, it's really life-changing. I mean, if I'm a writer in the freelance economy, I'd be taking on all these gigs and just using you guys to be my kind of ghost writer. Um, Maybe I need to start like an Upwork account and see if I can do that as a side hustle. That's a good call out. Um, That would be amazing. (laughs) It fits into our vision. So ultimately AI is still very human-centric. AI, I don't think we'll be able to fully replace a human because what makes this content or you know thing unique is actually the human touch behind it. It's like, why does this product exist in the first place? What's the story? Why did it get to this point? And so we see humans much more as editors rather than you know just the raw writers. So the AI can help them brainstorm things to write about, brainstorm ways to write about it, But ultimately, it's still up to the human to curate it and make it their own. And it's just part of the process. In some ways, it's very similar to how like iPhones and TikTok have changed video producing. (laughs) Ultimately, you know, it's still very human centric. The tools are just a lot better and a lot easier. 
and uh, you can create some incredible pieces of content um, and really see the creativity of the world. And that's amazing. And I'm interested to get into more of the, the use cases. Let's do something on AI real quick. Can you dumb it down where someone's like, okay, I type in what I want. All of a sudden, all of these different variations come at me. I hit refresh and more come at me. To like the, the lay person, how do you pull that off? Well, what does AI actually mean to be powering copywriting? Great question. Um, so I'll get a bit of background into this specific type of AI, which are pre-trained generative, uh, generative pre-trained transformers, a GPT for short. I think two years ago, OpenAI actually released something called GPT-2, which is a very large model. Uh, it's 1.6 billion parameters, which parameters you can see as like analogous to the size of the model. Um, and that's pretty big. Uh, and it started doing some pretty incredible things. That's actually the first model that caught Paul, my co-founder, in my eye. And then a year ago, they launched something called GPT-3, which is 175 billion parameters. So they 100 x the model from GPT-2 to GPT-3. And what that created is this model that's trained on, they say, about 10% of the internet. And the way they train them is they basically are asking the, the AI to predict, you know, words across all of this content. So, you know, let's say it's a Wikipedia page, it would randomly delete some words, and then it will try to predict the words that were randomly deleted, and then see how accurate it is. And then once it gets a little bit more accurate, then it keeps training itself until it became this impressive model. And then now the way we use it is we're using this model to predict the next word. And so, you know, we give it some piece of content or something like that, and it can try to predict what the next word comes next, given some type of context. So a lot of people think, oh, AI, you know, there's no way it can really, you know, know exactly what I'm thinking. And it's, you're right. You know, it's, it's, it does not know what you're thinking. It knows like, you know, from a probabilistic model, like, hey, there's like a X percent chance that this is the next word. But the second you kind of go down one path, you know, like the train of thought changes quite significantly. So we're all start, still trying to get used to this new paradigm of this massive model that can generate things. And the coolest thing is they proved that this type of our inf uh, architecture can actually work for any type of data. So they created an image GPT. So it's like, hey, you can take words and then turn it into an image, into a drawing. They did it for music. And it seems like there's no real limit. And the only limit is the amount of data out there. And right now on the internet, there's a lot of text. But after 10 years, I bet you there's a lot more images, a lot more videos, maybe even like VR and all kinds of craziness. Wow, that's amazing. And just the fact that all the content that's being created on the internet basically allows you to train the computer, the technology to pump out what's next. Um, okay, thank you for dumbing down AI so someone like myself can understand it. So I, I like looking at startups from three perspectives, coming up with the idea, second, getting traction, and third, growing, which I'm pumped to talk about this big round you've done. But let's go back to the early days First, how did you like connect with your co-founder, Paul? And second, how did you come up with this idea? Great question. So Paul and I actually worked together at a venture fund for the last five years. 
It's a very niche venture fund. But the good part is we got to see a lot of companies. Like we pretty much saw almost every single Silicon Valley company and uh, tried to understand it. And one thing that came out of it was, wow, entrepreneurship's amazing. We love it. So we started doing a little bit of angel investing because we just want to see people take these ideas and turn it into reality. One question we've had is why is there still so little of it? Why is it so hard? And we dove deep. It's hard for people to be creative. And creativity is actually like a reflection of yourself. And a lot of people don't get time to practice or even really understand themselves. So that was always fascinating on the top of our mind. The other thing that really caught our attention was everywhere you looked, the future looked very dystopian. You know, Black Mirror is like the first thing that comes to mind when you think about AI and you know, all these new technologies, and it's extremely dystopian. And if we view the world in a dystopian way, we're going to make and create a dystopian world. So we have to change that narrative. So AI right now, the narrative is, oh my God, AI is coming out and it's going to replace you and your job. And we want to change the narrative to know AI, you can actually take advantage of AI use it to quit your job, to start your own business, start your own company. And it's a, it's a switch, right? Ultimately, the larger corporations are always going to try to increase their profits and their profit margins. So over time, a lot of jobs are going to be automated. But the counter argument to this, if we can democratize access to the same thing that automated away their job, people will be able to actually create new businesses at a pace that we've never seen before. And today, we are more convinced of this than ever you know, every single person is extremely creative or is interested at least in one thing in a very deep way that they could bring some unique insight and potentially create their own business around. It takes a little bit of creativity. It takes the right marketing message and it creates the right playbook to take a product to market. But we think that it's possible. And so we actually have an unofficial goal at Copy AI to uh, create a billion new entrepreneurs in the next decade. That's really cool. And I would say not only just creativity, but when you're launching something, it's all about leverage. You've got to leverage people. You've got to leverage money. You've got to leverage technology to do the work of many to hit your goals. And I, I think that's something that like myself as a business owner, I try and focus on. And if you can leverage a tool like Copy AI, man, that, that's very helpful because if you think about it, any website is essentially images and copy. So it's a, a big help. But um, Exactly. You can test it immediately, right? If you have a new idea tomorrow, you just make a website, see if people sign up, you know, before you even start investing time and energy into building a product. Um, and that's the most important message we really want to get across is like, hey, do this experimentation. You know, the vast majority of ideas do fail, but when you find one, it's something special. So, you know, just keep iterating, keep testing. So the unfair advantage that you and Paul have, it sounds like at this idea phase is you're at this venture fund, you're getting the reps of seeing businesses, founders, industries that you want to jump on. So why going down this path of AI and why like going with the foot in the door with copy? Great questions. Um, Paul and I are entrepreneurship junkies and it really defines you know our entire team <laughs> and it also defines a lot of the decisions we made so for example um, we gave all students a free account right if you log in with a edu you effectively have like an extended free trial and the reason is we want to encourage students to go out start their own businesses they're in board in college 
you know, they don't have time to learn both marketing and building a product. We want them to figure out, oh, there's tools I can use to do all these things and hopefully help them start their own company at a point in time where they can take on the risk. Um, at, when we first started, we actually made it free on the weekends because we wanted to support the side hustlers, the people who had a business on the side. And that is a core, core aspect of our company. So we were looking at large startup ideas. There's plenty. There's so much opportunity out there. Um, but one thing that really spoke to us is helping other people achieve their goals, seeing a cooler world. Um, Paul calls it the beige wall crisis. Like everywhere you look, everyone has beige and white walls. And it's like, man, that does not look like the future. The future should look a lot cooler. And we believe that only by unlocking all the human potential and all the human creativity um, will we see that cool world of really awesome, well-thought-out products. That's really cool. And I love the idea of free on weekends because that does cater to a specific persona. So so you're at the Venture Fund. You come up with this idea. You're, you're getting you know this rapid-fire hit of different ideas inspiring where you want to go. Going from coming up with the idea together, second to what does that MVP look like with Copy AI? And when did you start to get traction where you're like, wait a minute, this this might be something special? Great question. We actually went through four ideas in the course of like three months. And the first idea was this thing called Concept Hunt. And it's like, you know, it's literally what the name says. It's like we're trying to help people find cool ideas. And the way we wanted to do it is help people train up their creativity. It's like we would show them a logo and a URL and then ask people, hey, what could this company become? What would this company sell? What would this company do? And there's no such thing as a bad answer. Go crazy with it. Really just try to push your brain to the limit. Turns out forcing people to go to a mental gym is just as hard as forcing people to go to a normal gym. Um, and it did not go anywhere. Can I jump in real quick? Yeah. Because what's really impressive there is that you were decisive and like move to the next thing. And as, sorry, as you go to this one, the next one, I'd love to hear when you're done, pivot, go to the next thing. Was, was it, how was the writing on the wall? Yeah, it's just like we didn't get any traction and we tried for a while, uh, even tried among closer friends and I think only one person lasted. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, yeah, this is clearly not working. Maybe there's a bit better way of doing it. Around that point in time is when OpenAI launched GPT-3 and then we saw it and we ran with it a little bit and we're like, oh my God, this thing can be that creative engine for everybody, you know, globally. And so we launched something called taglines.ai extremely quickly. And that was literally what it sounds like. It's like, hey, we're going to help you find taglines for your company. Because at that point in time, we were still doing angel investing. And one of the most important parts of being an early angel is helping a founder tell their story. So for example, there's one portfolio in our company called Project Ren, and they basically do consumer carbon credits. But Paul's like, no, you should look at it as crowdsourced terraforming of the earth, <laughs> which is a better and cooler way of saying it because that's what they're doing. It's like they're collecting a monthly you know, subscription from you. They take that money to plant trees or, you know, do all this stuff to help capture more carbon. And, you know, that's terraforming. So you got to come up with a thing that really inspires another generation. Like, wow, I want to be part of this, something new, something big. And so Taglines is a great, great place to do that. And really distilling down an entire vision into a couple words was pretty cool for us. Um, and we started charging $3 a month. People started paying 
well, we should raise prices. Let's try $6 a month. People were still paying. And then suddenly we're like, oh, we could be onto something. And people are like, hey, can you do more than just taglines? And we're like, oh, we need to change names. And then so uh, we went out, found copy.ai, got a a designer friend of ours to do the landing page, get the the green gradient. And then we kind of built it in a month and then launched on October 15th of 2020. Wow. Yeah. The first, I love names where you can like own a word or a category and it says what it is. It's like, I know the URL and I know exactly what you do. I'm very envious of that. Well done. Um, So you're getting people to pay you money. I like that you start with one use case of taglines and then you branch out from there. Okay. So you get people to pay for it. You're raising prices. What happens next as you go to copy AI from getting real traction to even doing that first kind of seed round? I don't know if that was when you raised 2 million or if you did something even before then. Great question. Um, So the way we launched was on Twitter. Paul and I sometimes joke we've made two good decisions throughout our entire life of the company. One is getting the domain name and second is tweeting about it. And so Paul had a big tweet thread. Oh, not even. It was just one post on October 15th that um, I think he did a great job. That tweet alone got us 200,000 impressions, 10,000 signups, and our first customers at $49 a month, which was like a pretty high price point. So we were very impressed. What was more impressive to us was like what the fallout, uh, like after, you know, the big hype, how many people were still signing up. And we were still getting 200 people a day even though we weren't advertising anywhere or putting it anywhere. And so suddenly we're like, this is something big. Within a week, we decided it's probably time we probably need to quit our jobs. And then uh, we notified our companies. And then right after that, we talked to our friends and family and you know, and anybody that we've really talked to in the startup space saying, hey, we're thinking about starting our own company. Would you be interested in joining us uh, you know, as an investor? And immediately raised $600,000. That gave us the full confidence to basically be like, okay, we're, we're going to quit our jobs. It took us a little bit of time to transition out. So I technically quit my last company literally at the new year. And then we kind of started really going full time on Copy AI. That first tweet was a game changer for us. But I would say keeping that momentum up was absolutely key. So that when we started the company, we knew we wanted to be transparent. We knew we wanted to trailblaze and we wanted to show people what it's like to start a company so people can be a part of the journey. So when they one day decide to start their own company, it's not fully foreign to them. And so we started building in public, which is like, you know, our only advantage. It's just being very transparent about what we're doing, how we're thinking about things, you know, our numbers different ideas that we've considering and just running with it. Paul wanted to push it to the absolute limit. And I would say that over the course of the next six months, building in public really built up a very strong distribution channel for us that even lasts to today. If you go back on Twitter, you can find every single monthly update from the time we started the company. And you can track our progress as we grew from you know $3 in MRR all the way now to just about 200K in MRR. Yeah, I want to get into the work in public stuff because selfishly I have a lot of questions because you guys are doing that extremely well. But let me go back to this tweet because it sounds so simple. You're validating this, you're putting it out there. I'd even ask you how you got those initial people to pay for you, if you could answer that. But also, I don't know if you were, I was was literally as you're talking, trying to find the tweet. Like what was it about that tweet that 
resonated with people? That's a great question. There was a few things we did. So Paul and I, we've been active on the Twitter community and trying to engage for a while. So at that time, we both had probably around a thousand some followers, which is not like great by any standard, but they were pretty personal because we were like talking to them on a daily basis for over a year at that point in time. And so the tweet itself followed pain agitate solution, <laughs> the copywriting formula. It's like, do you hate writing marketing copy? Like try copy AI today. And then at the very end, it was like seven day free trial, no credit card required, no beta required. At the time, there was this like very strong feeling of like, man, everything out there that's launching has like this beta and you have to get beta access. It has to be exclusive. I think it was like at the peak of like the clubhouse, um, you know, thing where everybody wanted an invite and it just felt really exclusive and it felt also a little elitist to everybody else. And so we did not want that vibe. We wanted to feel like democracy. We wanted to make it feel like everyone had access. And I think that really resonated. A good number of people commented on that tweet thread being like, yeah, I love the fact that you don't have a beta. You know, you know, I love the fact that there's no credit card required and it's like available to people globally as long as they have an internet connection and an email address. Um, at the same time, you know, we did cash in a lot of goodwill. So it's like, hey, can you help us retweet this? Can you help us retweet this? And it worked. What's a crazy story was actually that day Twitter went down. Oh, no. <laughs> it went down for three hours. We launched and it just died. And we're like, what the hell? I cannot believe this. <laughs> um, but I, it could have also been a blessing in disguise because no one else could tweet for three hours. So when they all came back, you know, we had a lot of retweets. And, you know, we were trending on a few topics. So maybe that actually helped us. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think your MRR would be up 100,000 if they wouldn't have gone down. But who knows? <laughs> who knows? Yeah, we were really satisfied with how it went. And we got lucky. You know, a lot of it was having really authentic audience who was more than happy to share and uh, really spread the message. That's really smart. You're hitting on a pain point. It sounds like the way you market it, you probably used your own tool to write the copy, leading into a community base that aligns with your persona, being on Twitter, having the free option. Because the thing about your product is we call it the magic moment. If you have a SaaS tool that either saves you time, money, or wows you with the experience, get to that moment as quickly as possible. And for me with Copy AI, the second you see the results, you're like, wow, writing will never be the same. And I think the free trial does that. The other thing that you do really well on your pricing page, not to nerd out on like SaaS best practices, but you you have the gateway drug of the magic moment. Um, your subscriptions, you do get people to get to the paid fairly quickly. You're doing, I think you're still doing annual billing, which if you would decide to go the bootstrapped route, building up that cash flow is huge for the cash conversion cycle. Um, but any other like tips for anybody else that's in the SaaS space on what you've done well, whether it's onboarding or with pricing? Pricing. We got some of the best advice ever from Jeff Chang. Um, he's uh, the guy behind the Growth Eng blog, and he's most famous for being one of the early growth engineers at Pinterest. At the same time, when we launched Copy, uh, he's been working on a startup himself, and you know he's giving advice to us. And his piece of advice was, hey, man, you have to set up annual pricing. You have to and like make a default. Trust me, you're not seeing any churn yet, but it will come and it will come hard. And having an annual plan will save you. And indeed, it did save us. <laughs> um, that annual plan is some of the that that was probably the best advice we've gotten. 
Um, so we launched in October. In November, I spent the effort to set up the annual plan. I made a default. We do have a monthly plan still, and a lot of our customers still do go through the monthly plan. But having that annual plan, that cash uh, flow, as you mentioned, is just absolutely core, especially if you're bootstrapping. So I want to get to the work in public. So for people that don't maybe know what that means, I mean, you guys are super transparent. I don't have the most recent one, but I'm looking at the one from August where you talk about sales, monthly recurring revenue, you know, hitting 200K a month, how many signups you get. You're talking about the product roadmap. You're literally showing everything, which for someone like me, that's a big fan of you all, I, it makes me more connected to the brand. So you're building up that loyalty. But I don't know if there's competitors or somebody else that's out there maybe that's a little nerve wracking as you're exposing things, but could you talk to me around, you know, was that something you wanted to do from the start? What are the pros and cons of doing that, that people might not be aware of? Yeah. When Paul and I started, we knew that we did not have many competitive advantages. I'm not the best coder. You know, we are first time founders. Um, we knew we needed distribution and we did not have, the brand to get it immediately quickly. So we needed to find a way to do it. What else really stood out to us was we are very passionate about entrepreneurship to an insane degree where we're willing to share our secrets to, you know, try to inspire other people to pursue their passions because that's what ultimately drives us and motivates us. So it was a no-brainer at that point in time. It was like, oh, well, this will help us with distribution and you know, we get to share what we're so passionate about and hopefully get other people to follow their passions. Of course, we got to do that. And Paul, you know, being Paul, wanted to really push it as far as he possibly could. So the big thing is he does ask the community. He does not say, I know everything. I'm going to, you know, you know, do this. He does ask questions like, hey, who out there has set up OKRs before? He's vulnerable. We're all vulnerable on Twitter. You know, we understand that we're early and there's still a lot that we don't know. And building in public allows us to get a dialogue with our audience and, you know, really learn from them just as they learn from us. And that has been an elevating experience. I would say uh, the most important thing that drives us, though, is the entrepreneurship aspect, showing people like, hey, it is tough at the beginning, but, you know, there is a path forward. And here's how we did it. And if you have any questions about where you are or how we did something, just ask away. People will DM us privately and our response is, hey, tweet it at us and then we can you know, answer it in public. <laughs> so then everybody can see and everybody can get you know, access to this information. And that's what means the most to us. That's awesome. For me, it's really fun. And it's educational because I know I like seeing it just to see how you all think through the business. One thing with work in public, whether it's Buffer or Nathan Berry, people that are put or convert kid that are putting themselves out there, they try and put a big goal on like, hey, we want to get to, you know, a hundred million in ARR or whatever that is. Have you all made that claim on like the big goal you're going after? We actually have not. We just internally have this like, you know, unofficial goal, <laughs> um, which is extremely ambitious. And it's so ambitious we we're afraid to talk about it because we don't want to sound like, you know. It's crazy, but that's like to us a dream come true. If like you know a sixth of the world was able to just pursue their own passion and create awesome products, can you imagine what types of things would come out if there was a billion entrepreneurs? Right now in the entire world, there's something like 300 million entrepreneurs. Like that's our approximate numbers from all of our research. Imagine like 4xing that. Like if 
the person who's like cutting tomatoes finds out like a secret way of doing it that's just like better than everyone else and creates a product like that is where the magic will happen it's like all the technological progress will move forward you know people will just come up with the coolest stuff and it'll just be such a delightful world to live in yeah and there's so many creative people well there's probably some very small maybe not small thing but a few things that are holding them back to go into that next level of, of doing their own thing so we're, we're breaking news here, even though this podcast doesn't go out for three weeks. So it'll then be old news, but we, you can humor me for a second and say that I got the scoop. But you guys are now raising $11 million. You're closing this round. I'm sure you're raising it from some very impressive people with the background that you and Paul have. Talk me through, what does that mean from a growth and scale perspective? But also, what does that mean from a headspace perspective. It's like, wow, that's a lot of money that really moves the goalpost back because with venture investing, people want to see a return that's 10x off of what they make. Those are huge numbers. So talk me through that as you're like looking at growth goals, but even your own mindset. Great question. There was a world where Paul and I could have bootstrapped this and just kind of kept the product and where it was and just let it naturally grow and then one day flip it. But that's not what drove us. What drove us is this vision of making business easy. Just really, you know, type the description of the business and boom, there you go. Here's a lot of the stuff you need to get started just to test the idea. Once you test it, oh, here's how you can go about, you know, driving some early sales. Oh, and then here's a way you can do to drive recurring sales or something along those lines. That's the vision that spoke to us. And we knew with two people, we would not be able to accomplish that. So we decided to go the venture-backed route. It is more stressful. As you mentioned, there's a lot more expectations, but it allows us to take a shot at our vision. And so we see this as a chance to build up our team. And our team is now growing. Today, we're at 12 people. And by the end of October, we're going to actually be at 15. And it will allow us um, to really be able to uh, pursue, you know, this vision of making AI accessible to everybody, really making it even more valuable, more than just the magical moment, but it's not the magical moment. It just becomes ingrained as a part of like them. And that will give so much leverage on a lot of people's time. And we think that will just ultimately do wonders for technological progress in the long run. So we're here to swing for the fences. <laughs> in terms of headspace, it is actually still really hard to find a place where you can invest a dollar and get more than a dollar out. It's still extremely hard. And for us right now, I think headcount and hiring people is the only place where it's been able to pay a huge dividend. So that's probably where most of this money is going to go in building up a team that can really help us build out the features and this extremely ambitious roadmap we have in mind to make something that's truly magical and truly extremely important to entrepreneurs around the globe. That's awesome. So will all this funding be going to people or will you be looking to put this into investing in content marketing or partnerships or sales or, you know, let's just throw that money at Facebook and Google because they need more uh, money, right? From startups. Like where, where's your head at with that? Yeah, there's a little bit of everything. You know, ultimately we do care about content marketing because content marketing is not really marketing to us. It's content about like, how do you start a company? How do you write an email subject line that works? What are these, you know, copywriting formulas? Why are they important? Why should they matter for you? And we think if everybody in the world knew about copywriting formulas, 
you know, it would be a lot, already the barriers of entrepreneurship would drop pretty significantly. And then, you know, of course, there still is, you need to drive top of funnel traffic, but we're lucky that we do have a very powerful distribution base with a high word of mouth. And so even if we don't pour a lot of money on that, we think that that's okay. Um, the reason why we're pouring a lot of it into the people is because we're in such early innings of this new AI technology. And uh, that excites us because today we're just doing marketing copy, but we think that, you know, five years, 10 years from now, we can be doing so much more in such a magical way. It will really feel like you're just, you know, you multiplied yourself like 10,000 times and you can get so much done. And we're going to see massive businesses built off of a single person. No, that's awesome, man. But yeah, you guys, from a content marketing perspective, do it very, very well. So if anybody's looking to learn from founders that work in public, definitely check out your your Twitter, Paul's, and even Copy AI's. All right, so I want to switch the tables a little bit. You, self-admittedly, are very into entrepreneurship. Before you and Paul even launched this, you had probably like a huge database of ideas. You're testing them. You're at a venture studio where you're looking at ideas. So we'll do like half-baked startup ideas. What are some ideas that you'd love to start, you'd love somebody else to start, or just even random things you're thinking of that would be kind of fun. Because honestly, even hearing about Copy AI, I just want to create a productized service that is like the Copy AI agency that's like churning out ad copy for people. But that's such like a small idea. I need to be thinking bigger. But but what do you have? Any Anything that's top of mind? Yeah, lots. And so our time as angel investors have taught us a lot. And the biggest lesson I think has always been to just aim bigger, aim higher. We pretty much study like Elon Musk and the way he approaches things. Like what are going to be the most, the biggest problems humanity faces in the next hundred years? If you solve those, suddenly your company is massive. So he, you know, looks at it, it's like energy. Okay, we got to start Tesla. And then the other one's like, oh, we need to become a multi-planetary species. We need to have a new frontier. Otherwise, we're just going to fight among ourselves. Like, okay, these two things. Today, there's still so much open field. I'd say climate change is massive. Like, everyone is feeling this existential dread. And, you know, if you can find a way to help solve it, ease it, you know, help us move the world forward, there's a huge, huge market business out there. We actually started one. <laughs> uh, people don't know about it. Actually, it was mostly Paul. He did six months of deep research into climate why he was feeling this anxiety, finding out about carbon credits. And then that's ultimately how we found Project Ren. They were a YC-backed company and they already did, like they were ahead of where Paul was. And he's like, oh, well, I'm going to share my six months of research with them and then we'll invest in them and help them out as they grow. I would say today, if we were to look at a new idea, one place to look would be um, uh, Google's like AlphaFold. Um, I think that's a stepwise function. So for those who don't know, Google's using AI to predict protein structures. And recently, they were able to predict protein um, structures at an accuracy level equivalent to lab tests, which is just mind-blowing to me. That means that you, know, you can run it through an AI model, and the result will be just as accurate as like doing this you know, multi-hour, multi-day sort of experiment <laughs> to try to figure out protein structure. And then Google open sourced it. <laughs> so they really open sourced like an entire database. And, you know, that is just a magical moment. And I think there's going to be huge advances that come from these kind of stepwise advancements um, in technology. 
Other areas that are huge would be, you know, really bringing the digital world even more into the physical world. And what we mean by that would be like the Internet of Things, like, you know, personal suits that can like heat cool much more effectively that could be a climate change startup idea at the same time like why do we cool down you know all this extra space we only really need to cool down the inch of space next to our skin you know uh exoskeleton technology stuff that just you know there's just so much that the world still faces and needs to do we personally are extremely passionate about ai i personally have been also extremely passionate about blockchain and decentralized technologies, I think it's becoming more and more clear we need a much more robust system. Bitcoin has shown over the last 10 years that this type of proof of work is extremely robust. Uh, you know, no one has been able to counterfeit a Bitcoin since inception, which is just a mind-blowing feat. And the crazier part is no one's really in charge. And so we see these decentralized networks as a fascinating place uh, to look today, you know, NFTs are really hot. We are only at the very beginnings of where NFTs are going to go. Today, it still looks like a toy. It kind of is a toy, but I am really excited to see all the different ideas and companies coming together around this space. It might not even be companies. It might just be networks and decentralized autonomous organizations, as they're called, DAOs. We're just at a fascinating place in history. Yeah, I just I was taking notes as you were speaking. So first to back up, I think your framework for approaching this is really good. If you're going to do something like think big, because whether you're starting a pizza shop down the corner or you're trying to like fight climate change, you don't have any more hours in the day for one problem over the other. And it's going to take just as much mental space to go after that. So like thinking big, you're also talking about big problems that are probably going to get bigger or trends to ride. You kind of mentioned some of these like web 3.0 trends to go after, whether it's climate change, alpha fold, bringing digital world um, into the physical world, blockchain and, you know, kind of decentralized, um, as you could say, like with Bitcoin, like currencies. Um, it's so hard to know like where to point yourself. There's so much momentum going on with these. One thing that you all did really well is you took these ideas and put into action with testing different things. Was that very deliberate where you're like, okay, we have this idea. We're only going to give ourselves a month or we're going to go until we talk to a hundred people or 200 people to know if there's traction. Yeah. So we would start. Okay. <laughs> This is a place where we're really trying to hone in on a bit more because it doesn't just affect us, it affects everybody else. The way we initially start ideas is, it would be cool if, and then we would go and try it out. Today, if we were to start something new, I think it would still have to satisfy this, it would be cool if, but it would also have to satisfy, hey, are people actually interested in signing up? So, um, man, we have a large, large list of companies that we tried. There was one called Permanent Text where it's like I wanted to create something where you could save some permanent text onto that blockchain, you know. Um, Paul started something called Moving Move with Friends, and it's literally what it sounds like. It's like, how do you get you and all of your friends to move cities at the same time? Could you create a logistics around that? Could you create a network around that? Um, and he did that right at the beginning of the pandemic. Turns out it's a really hard problem <laughs> and he wasn't as passionate about it. Um, but the way we did it was, well, the way he said it did it was just set up a webpage, you know, with a sign up. And then he got 2000 signups because it just somehow resonated with people at that point in time. It was like 
right before the pandemic, everyone was kind of feeling this like wanderlust sort of thing. And then the pandemic hit and everyone's like, oh my God, I we need to move to Miami. <laughs> like, I do not want to be stuck here. So we got a lot, they got a lot more signups at that point in time. You know, Concept Time also came out of this just same idea. Like, wow, it'd be cool if, and there was even this one idea that we talk about called the business business. And it's like, we want to be in the business of helping people start businesses. Um, and that's kind of what Copy AI is going to become now. <laughs> but that was like another idea that was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if you could describe something and boom, you have a business and like people are going to run multiple businesses and people who don't have business are going to work on ideas that they find fascinating and they're going to somehow be rewarded for it. And, you know, how, how do we create this type of system? Um, yeah. And so a lot of it comes down to when it's really, really awesome. We did not talk to nearly enough customers for a lot of these ideas. Probably why we also failed so many times. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it's fun. You know, it, I, I don't know if I would find talking to 100 customers, finding two who might actually end up subscribing to be actually any interesting. I'd say for an enterprise startup, that would work. But for anything that's more prosumer, consumer stuff, I don't think that's going to work because like even the best consumer apps have like a two to five percent chance like conversion rate. That means if you talk to a hundred customers, maybe five of them will actually convert into a customer, and you don't know which five. And it means the rest of the ninety-five might be bad advice and might be off off track, and you just don't know what to think of it. So ultimately, for us, if you're thinking about starting a company, follow your passion. This sounds really cliche, but find something that you're really interested in working on really do study like the business model, whether or not it'll actually work, why will it work? And then sometimes you do have to get lucky. So I would say Paul and I got pretty lucky with the launch of GPT-3. It came right when we were in the middle of exploring ideas and we were able to get on pretty early, but we've been trying for years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just that no one really knew. You guys are almost prolific, but that's what it takes. It's not like basketball where you have to shoot like 70% from the free throw line. All you need is one, right, to really take off. So it's about getting those shots on goals and those reps in. Really good advice. I like that framework. Wouldn't it be cool if, uh, especially if you're going to be dedicating yourself to something for the long haul, you don't want to just go after some arbitrage opportunity you're not passionate about. All right, so one question I like to end with is, What's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you in your professional career? Man, um, there's too many people to thank for this, but it's literally just spending the time to chat, to share their expertise, um, their time that, frankly, sometimes is really expensive. So like on this entrepreneurship journey, we've had so many advisors who've saved us so many times. It's like, hey, you're looking at this really consider this like you really have to you know just like jeff uh, you know giving us that advice about the annual plan he actually gave us a lot more advice about retention he spent an unbelievable amount of time helping us out you know and i am ex in like internally grateful and i hope i can pass that on to the next generation of entrepreneurs but across the board throughout all of silicon valley there is this you know, idea of paying it forward. And a lot of them learned it from mentors who spent the time to teach them. So they feel very, you know, like, oh, they need to spread it as well. And we feel the exact same way. So I would say to me, just people sharing their time to some nobody, you know, <laughs> looking to create some crazy idea without expecting anything in return. That's been unbelievable.
Yeah, because it, it could just be like a 15 or 20 minute conversation, but it changes the business model. It changes your perspective. It gives you the the attaboy pat on the back you need at the right time. But um, no, that that's awesome. Very cool. Turns out a lot of the advice out there is it depends. Yes. <laughs> and it depends on your specific situation. <laughs> I know. that's. I always feel bad when people ask for advice. I'm like, oh, I'm going to say something really annoying, but it depends. Well, no, Chris, this is awesome, man. It's been fun to chat with you. I've been so impressed with what you all have built at Copy AI. Where can we point people if they want to learn more about you, what you guys are doing, or about Copy AI? Yeah, hopefully by the time this podcast launches, we will have an About Us page and a story. Um, so you should definitely go check that out. I highly suggest everybody listening to just test that out. You want to start learning these new technologies just as they come out. So you can really be on the forefront and you will know how to interact with them the best. Right now, it's like having an assistant that you know is really smart, but still takes a little bit of training. And learning how to interact with this assistant will save you a lot of time down the line. And it, you'll find that it can empower you in ways that you never even anticipated I've learned a lot of marketing, like what makes a good hook just by using my own app quite a bit. Because you see so much of it. Every time you click create, you generate another 10 you know, examples. And suddenly you're, some of them you're like, whoa, that's a good one. Or whoa, like, you know, this could be improved a little bit this way. And I've seen my own skills develop just by interacting with the AI. Um, and so I highly suggest everybody just check it out. That's why we have a seven-day free trial, no credit card required, uh, and just see what it can do. I agree because I, uh, in a previous life, I would write copy. So I was like, I'm better than any AI, but I would write it. It actually makes you open your mind to be like, oh, wow, I didn't think of that angle. It, it is actually good to train yourself, um, which is kind of nice. Well, Chris, this was awesome. Thank you so much for the time. Very excited to continue to watch from the sidelines what you guys do. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jim, for having me. This is an awesome uh, podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money. But I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Thank you.